Good morning, church. I forgot my clicker. Dave or Habib, do you have a clicker back there for me? Well, can you believe uh, we have finished another year? 2017 is in the books. And uh, 20, 2018 is here. You guys excited for 2018? Yeah? Looking forward to uh, a new year, a fresh start. And I can't believe, uh, man, it seems like 2017 just flew by. And uh, I guess as the older we get, maybe every year does that. I don't know. But uh, thanks, Dave. Well, pray with me this morning. God, thanks so much uh, for your unending love. Uh, God, thanks for bringing us together. Thanks for gathering your body uh, this morning. God, that we can come together, that we can have this building to meet in. Uh, God, it's not the building, that's the church, but it's the people within it. And uh, so, God, as we gather together as the body of Christ, uh, as your church, uh, God, we come before you to worship you. We come before you to to raise our hearts and to raise our hands and to raise our lives uh, to you and to give them to you and to ask that you do with them as you please. God, this world is not about us, God, but it's about you accomplishing your will through us. And uh, so, God, we gather together this morning and uh, give you all the praise, all the honor. Pray that you would uh, allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning. Uh, God, would you hide my voice behind your spirit's voice? And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning I get the uh, privilege of helping us as a church body kick off a new year uh, to get us started in 2018 on the right foot, on the right track. And if you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, we announced that uh, Pastor Ed Trinner uh, would be coming on and he would be coming on kind of in an in a interim preaching role. And so he will start next Sunday, January 14th. Pastor Ed Trinner will be here. He's from the Orange Grace Brethren Church, uh, pastor there for many years. He's now retired and uh, love and life, uh, still serving, still doing ministry. And uh, he has a heart for us here. And so he'll be joining us. Um, so I hope you're excited about that. I hope you're excited uh, to have Ed. If you haven't got a chance to know him, uh, I pray over the next coming months that you will have a chance to get to know him a little bit. And uh, he's a really neat guy. So uh, anybody remember our theme from last year? Thanks living. Yes, very good. Get A+. Plus. Uh, thanks living was our theme for last year. Now, anybody remember our theme verse? What reference was it found in the, in the Bible? First Thessalonians. Ooh, that's about it, right? Hey, five something. That's pretty good. B plus. Uh, first Thessalonians chapter five, uh, verses 16 and 18, right? Uh, which says rejoice always pray without ceasing. In all circumstances, give thanks uh, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and for me. And so that was our theme for last year. And so our elders have been as we've been approaching 2018, uh, we we've been meeting together and just asking, OK, God, give us some direction. Help us to understand where we need to head uh, in the coming year. Last year, we focused on being thankful uh, in the way that we live our lives. And so this year, it became very evident as we began to meet and we began to talk and we began to discuss uh, that God led us to a verse found in the book of Colossians. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, you want to grab them uh, to the, and, and open it up to the book of Colossians. I'll also have it up here on the screen. Uh, but Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 is going to be the theme uh, for this year. Colossians three seventeen. But we're going to look at verses 16 and 17 this morning. 
Colossians 3, 16 and 17, it says this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then here's our theme verse. It says this. It says, whatever you do in word or in deed, or we could say whatever you do in speech or in action, that you do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, in essence, this passage, when we look at starting at verse 16, this passage in essence is saying that the scriptures, that the very word of God, the things that we hold in our hands, right, that this should permeate throughout our entire lives as believers. In other words, the word of God, the scriptures should permeate so much that it controls our thoughts, right, that it controls our speech and that it controls our actions, the things that we do. And so God's word should be abundant. God's word should be rich in our lives. Why? So that verse 17 can happen, right? So that whatever you and I do, whatever it is that we do throughout our day, from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, whatever we do in word or deed, that we can do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so that's going to be our theme verse for this year. Colossians three, chapter uh, uh, chapter three, verse 17. So I'm going to ask uh, we're going to ask as leaders that uh, ask our church here if you guys would memorize that with us this year. Um, We will eventually get it up here somewhere so that it's in front of you and you can see it. Uh, But Colossians chapter three, verse 17 is going to be our theme verse. Uh, What is our theme for the year? Well, if you've. uh, been perusing through your bulletin this morning you maybe saw on the front of your bulletin uh, the phrase be intentional and that's what we're going to focus on this year is being intentional and you can probably say well that's pretty basic I could think I can do that uh, it's a lot harder than you think right it's, it's hard to be intentional uh, often we uh, get into routines we get into uh, habits or patterns and we just we just do things right we uh, we just live life, and that's just what we do, and we often don't even think about what we're doing. Well, as followers of Jesus and as a church body, we want to be intentional people. Of all the people in the world, right, believers in Jesus should be the most intentional, right? We've been given a second chance at life. We've been given an opportunity to be used by the creator of the universe. And so we should be intentional, and that's what we're going to work out this year, uh, setting out to do that. Well, first, let me uh, define for you, what does it mean to be intentional? Um, When we look at the root word of intentional, uh, we see the word intent, Uh, the word intent. And that means a determination to act in a certain way. So we're asking as a church body that we would determine at the beginning of this year that we are going to act as followers of Jesus in a certain way. Right. It could also mean this word resolve. Resolve is a fixity of purpose. It's to decide firmly, not loosely, right, but to decide firmly on a course of action. And so basically, church, here's what we're declaring this year. And I hope that you'll join us as we do this. We are declaring that we are going to be deliberate in what we do. We're going to be purposeful in what we do, and we're going to be willful in what we do. Because being intentional begins with one of purpose. And then that purpose is followed by an immediate determination to be two things, to be bold in the way that we live and to be active until we've accomplished the purpose that Christ has set out 
for us to accomplish. Uh, I'm a dad. Uh, I'm a parent. Uh, many of you are parents in this room and moms and dads. Um, I get the, the privilege, we all get the privilege if we have kids, right, to watch our kids grow and to mature and to experience things. And so I get the joy of watching my kids make good decisions. That, that happens from time to time, right? I also get to watch them make some bad decisions, but that's okay, right? We work through those things. Um, I also get the joy of watching my kids discover something for the very first time. Um, if you think back to maybe when you're, some of your kids were younger or maybe even still today and you think through... What are those first moments that your kids experience something for the very first time and their light, their eyes light up and they get excited? Uh, we just finished with Christmas, right? And so Christmas is always a fun time um, in our household. And, and so just celebrating what Christ has done for us. And I remember one of my sons, we were a couple weeks before Christmas and I think we were in the car and we were driving around. And I said, he said, hey, bud, what are you what are you looking forward to uh, for Christmas this year? What, what, what's what's exciting you about Christmas? And he says, well, Dad, there's really two things that excite me about Christmas. And one of them, of course, is that we get to celebrate Jesus, right? And what he came to do for us. But he says, the other one that I really love to, to do around Christmas time is I love to give gifts to people. You remember that, bud? Right. He says, I love to give gifts to people. And so over the next couple weeks after we had that conversation, I, as a dad, got to watch my son work on creating gifts for, for people. He loves to do crafts. And so I came home one night and I walked down the hallway and the door to my boy's bedroom was closed. And there was a sign on the door that said something along the lines of, please knock if you want to come in because there's some serious gift wrapping going on in here. Right. Kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but right. So he had this note on there. Don't just barge in like knock because uh, I, I'm, I'm doing something in here. And so my son spent hours and hours and hours making Christmas cards and Christmas gifts for our entire family. So on Christmas Day, we all woke up. And when we got together with my side of the family, and we got together with my wife's side of the family. My son would bring out this package of just tons of gifts. And he had gifts in there for grandma and grandpa. He had gifts in there for his cousins. He had gifts in there for his aunts and his uncles. He had gifts in there for mom and dad. He had gifts in there for his siblings. He spent hours working. I know that because he came throughout the week leading up to Christmas. He said, hey, mom, dad, do you have any more tape? I ran out of tape. Right. And he's in there and he wrapped all of these gifts, probably a good 20 gifts, I would, I would say. And those gifts were basically a homemade card. Each one was unique. Each one was different. Each one had a different picture on it relating to Christmas. And on the inside, he wrote a note to each person about Christmas. Um, and then he gave him a candy cane and all that was wrapped up and he had wrapped it all. And so we got to unwrap it. Such a fun time. And I started to think about that and what he did. And he determined in his mind to act in such a way at Christmas time that he would willfully spend his time leading up to Christmas to create and to make gifts for other people. Think about that for a minute. How, how often do we do things intentionally like that in our lives? Someone once said this. Someone once said, if you're going to grow in Christ, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. Do you realize this morning, church, that we serve an intentional God? Our God is intentional about the way that he interacts with us. If you have a relationship with God this morning, just know this. It wasn't because of anything that you and I did this morning that brought us into a relationship with Christ. It wasn't anything that we did. It was because God was intentional in drawing us near 
to him. In fact, it was God being intentional in bringing people into our lives. I think about my own life and how he brought my mom and my dad and my grandparents who loved the Lord and other people in my life, aunts and uncles and, and church family that poured into me, that brought me to a point as a young kid at the age of five to give my life to Christ. Maybe you can recall in your life the people that God has intentionally brought into your life uh, that has led you to a point where you are ready to say, God, I'm ready to give my life to you. In fact, God's so intentional uh, that he is the one that put the longing within our hearts to even want to draw near to him. And he's the only one that could feel that longing that's in our hearts. And so we serve an intentional God this morning. Look at these passages. This is going to show us this morning how intentional of a God that we serve. Ephesians chapter one, uh, verse four and five, it says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? To be holy and blameless in his sight. He's the one that chose us. Remember that, church. We didn't choose him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. You were already on his mind before he even formed the world. And he chose you to be holy and blameless in his sight, despite the sin that would eventually come into our lives. Verse 5 says he also predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you have a relationship with Jesus, know this, you're an adopted child of God. You've been adopted. And God chose to do that before the foundation of this world. It wasn't something that happened and he said, oh, man, you guys are screwing up. I got to do something about this. I need you to bring you into my family. No, he chose you before the foundation of this world to be adopted into his family. I love what he shares with Jeremiah uh, in Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. He says this to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, I chose you. Before I even formed you in the womb and I set you apart before you were born and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then in first John four nineteen it says we love because he first loved us. It's not that he first loved and then we got to love second. It's, it's the fact that we don't even get to love except for the fact that God showed us what love is. He is love. And so now we have the ability to love because of what he's done. Let me paint it another way for you this morning. Uh, if you would grab your Bibles again, turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Esther. We're going to camp out here a little bit in Esther. I'm going to kind of give you an overview this morning of the life of Esther. And hopefully this will paint for you a picture of what it means that God is so intentional in our lives and what it means that we need to be intentional for God. As you turn there, uh, some of you may not be as familiar with the book of Esther. I know our women, I think, maybe a little more familiar because I think you guys just went through the book of Esther uh, for women's retreat. Right. And so this is probably pretty familiar for you. But Esther is one of only two books. As you turn there, Esther is one of only two books in the Bible that are named after after women. Uh, so it's Esther. Anybody know the other one? Ruth. Good job. Right. Esther and Ruth. Uh, Esther is such an interesting book and for some people even a more controversial book because as you read through the book of Esther, there is something that is missing from the book of Esther. And you're saying, wait, the Bible is whole, nothing's missing. But what's missing? You don't hear the name of God mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther. Interesting. But here's the thing, and we're going to see this as we go throughout it this morning. Though we don't see the mention of God, though we don't see even Esther or Mordecai praying to God, we don't see any kind of mention of God in the book of Esther, we will see the fingerprints of God all over Esther. We will see the fingerprints of God all throughout uh, the book of Esther. 
And so to give you a little bit of background this morning, the book of Esther occurs over a 10-year span of time from 483 B.C. to 473 uh, B.C. And this puts Esther just between some of, the, some of these uh, major prophets that we would know of, such as Ezra, uh, Nehemiah. And so she kind of, Esther falls right into this uh, time period. Uh, we also know that uh, this is the time period where uh, the Jews have been in exile Uh, The Babylonians had come in and wiped out Jerusalem and the southern two tribes. Um, The northern ten tribes had already been wiped out previously by the Assyrians. And so God's people have become scattered and and sent into exile. And so here we see in 539 B.C. that King Cyrus from Persia, he enters the picture and he conquers Babylon. So he comes in, he wipes out Babylon, and within the first year of taking over and becoming king, King Cyrus issues a decree. And this decree to the people basically says that the Jewish people are free to return to Jerusalem. So this is great news for the Jews, right? They have been in exile for over 70 years, and they now have an opportunity to return to their homeland, to return to Jerusalem. And so we see within that first year in 538 B.C. uh, that under the leadership of uh, Zerubbabel that they send their first group of people back to Jerusalem. Um, And then we'll see a couple other uh, trips later on. Ezra will uh, take a group back in 458 B.C. And then about 100 years after the initial wave going back to Jerusalem, we see Nehemiah takes a group back in 445 B.C. But for whatever reason, Esther and her family... Don't return right away. Right. For whatever reason, Esther and her family remain in this foreign land. And we're going to kind of see why, because God is intentional. God has a plan with Esther. And so they remain there. They remain in Persia. Uh, We would know that today as modern day Iran. And so let me just give you a quick snapshot. We're going to hop into chapter two in just a minute. Uh, But chapter one starts off with King um, um, King uh, uh, Hazarus. Uh, who was married to Queen Vashti. And Queen Ahasuerus basically says, hey, I'm a queen, I got lots of wealth, Uh, I like to flaunt it, that's what I do as a king. And so he decides, I'm going to throw a party. So he throws a six-month-long party, and, um, six-month-long party, and at the end of the six-month-long party, he's got all of his uh, uh, guys from his kingdom, and all the the royalty is with him, and they're they're celebrating, and they're, they're doing their thing. And at the end of that six months, 180 days, he decides, that wasn't long enough. I want to throw another party. So he, he throws another seven-day party, another week-long party. Right? Well, at the end of this party, him and his buddies are now fully drunk with wine. They've been celebrating for almost half a year. Right? And they're drunk with wine. And they, the king says to one of his guards, he says, hey, why don't you go get the queen, Queen Vashti, bring her in and have her wear her crown and have her entertain us. In other words, he says, hey, have her put on the crown and maybe that's all she puts on and have her come in and entertain us. Right. And so and she says to this, uh, no, right. I'm not doing that. And uh, the king doesn't like that. Right. The king is not pleased with Queen Vashti's response. And uh, so the king basically says, He says, well, we're going to take care of this. I don't like what the queen said. I don't like what my wife said. And so he basically gets some guys together and they decide, you know what? We need to remove the queen. So they said, we're going to remove Queen Vashti from her position. We're going to remove her from the presence of the king. And this will be done as a statement to all women everywhere that when the husband speaks, the wife's to listen. And we say, what? 
Right? That would never fly today. Right? And he, this is the male chauvinistic part of this society and this kingdom. Right? Here's a king wanting to do whatever he wants to do, and he wants everybody to follow along with it. And uh, so we see in chapter 2, if you'll look in chapter 2 with me of Esther, starting at verse 1. It says, sometime later when King Ahasuerus' rage has cooled down, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decided against her. And the king's personal attendant suggested, hey, we have an idea. Let us search or let us uh, search. Let a search be made for beautiful young women for the king. And let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his kingdom so that they may assemble all the beautiful young virgin women to the harem at the fortress of Susa and put them under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women and give them the required beauty treatments. Then the young women or the young woman who pleases the king will become queen instead of Vashti. Well, this suggestion pleased the king and he did accordingly. Now, if you're if you're like me, I'm thinking I always thought that our dating reality shows that we had today was something new in the last 10, uh, 10 years, the last decade. You know, you got The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and all these different shows. I think this may be the original Bachelor, right? You have a king and he's got a rose and he's saying, look, I've 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 gotten rid of my queen. I need a new queen. And so I want you guys to go out, find all these beautiful women, gather them up. Uh, and I want you to basically give them beauty treatments and then parade them in front of me. I will choose one every night and they will spend the night with me. And if they don't please me, then I'll send them on their way. And the next night, another woman. Right. Until he gets to the point where he says, I'm, I'm, I'm willing, willing to give a rose away. And so we see this. Well, look at verse eight with me. This is where Esther enters our, our picture. Verse eight, it says, when the king's command and edict became public knowledge. Many young women gathered at the citadel under Haggai's care. And Esther was also taken to the palace and placed under the care of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. And the young women pleased the young woman pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. And so he assigned seven handpicked female servants to her from the palace and transferred her and her servants to the harem's best quarters. Esther did not reveal her ethnic background or her birthplace because Mordecai had ordered her not to. And every day Mordecai took a walk in front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and to see what was happening to her. her. Here's what we know about Esther. Esther started off kind of as an orphan. Her mom and dad had died. And so we see this uh, older cousin of hers, Mordecai, uh, he basically steps up and he says, you know what, I'll adopt her. I will raise her. And so Mordecai does. He raises Esther and she is a beautiful young woman. We know that because the scripture says that. Um, and we don't know a whole lot about Esther, but we do know this about uh, regarding her faith. See, unlike Daniel and some of his buddies who had to take a very strong stand uh, for their uh, relationship with the Lord. You remember Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and some of those guys and the stand that they took. See, Esther decided to hide her identity, right, based on Mordecai's recommendation. And so she doesn't disclose the fact that she's a Jew to the king. She doesn't disclose the fact of where she was born and where she's from. Right. And so she keeps all of this somewhat private. And it's hard to know from verse eight uh, if uh, she decided willingly to be a part of this bachelor show 
um, or if she was taken by force. Um, but we know, nonetheless, she caught the eye of the king, right? Uh, look at verse 15 in chapter 2. It says, Esther was the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who adopted her as his own daughter. And when her turn came to go to the king, she did not ask for anything except what Haggai, the king's trusted official in charge of the harem, suggested. While Esther won approval in the sight of everyone who saw her. And she was taken to King Ahasuerus in the royal palace in the 10th month, the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she won more favor and approval from him than, in, than did any of the other young women. And he placed the royal crown on her head and made her queen in place of Vashti. And the king held another great banquet, because that's what kings love to do, for all of his officials and staff. And it was Esther's banquet. Uh, and he freed his provinces from tax payments and gave gifts worthy of the king's bounty. Well, while all this is going on, and this bachelor show is wrapping up with the king... Right. Mordecai is pacing outside the king's gate. And here's what Mordecai hears. Mordecai hears that there is something. Uh, there's a plot to kill the king. So he immediately lets Queen Esther know, hey, there's this plot to kill your husband, the king. And you need to let him know. And so they go before the king. The king says, well, let's investigate. They investigate and they end up saying, yeah, these guys, two, uh, two officials of the kings that were planning to kill him. This is true. And they end up. Uh, sending these guys to the gallows and they get they die, they get hung and they're killed. And so basically Mordecai saves the king. Well, now enters this guy called Haman. Look at chapter three uh, of Esther. Now enters this kind of evil villain, right? Haman. He's an Agagite. It says after all this took place, verse one, King Ahasuerus honored Haman, um, Son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and he promoted him in rank and gave him a higher position than all the other officials. Well, the entire royal staff at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman because the king had commanded them to do so. But Mordecai would not bow down or pay homage to him. Verse 3 says, The members of the royal staff at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? When they had warmed him day after day and he would still not listen to them, they told Haman to see if Mordecai's actions would be tolerated, since he had told them that he was a Jew. Well, when Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying him homage, he was filled with rage. And when he learned of Mordecai's ethnic identity that he was a Jew, Haman decided not to go away with Mordecai alone uh, to, to do away with him. But he planned to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout all the kingdom. See, if you went back to the time of Saul, there was a responsibility that Saul had to destroy a people group. And Saul didn't do it. Samuel had to come along later, kill King Agag, which is what God had commanded them. And so there's this bad blood between the Jews and these Agag people. Um, and so this is why we see some, some hatred here and some, and some disagreement between Mordecai and Haman. And so Mordecai won't bow, bow down to Haman. He won't do it. So here's what Haman does. He says, I'm going to get I'm going to get a decree out there. I'm going to get the, the king's signet ring and I'm going to make a decree based on what uh, the power of the king. And I'm going to kill all the Jews. Right. Uh, if we know anything, that's not the last time that uh, is tried and uh, unsuccessful. Um, but he tries that. Well, Mordecai finds out about it. And Mordecai basically starts to mourn and say, no, we can't. I, my people are going to be killed. I'm going to be killed. And so he sends a letter to Queen Esther and says, you have to do something. 
And this is where we find ourselves in chapter four, where I want us to camp out just for a few minutes here this morning. Uh, chapter four of Esther. Look at verse seven with me. It says Mordecai told him everything that had happened, as well as the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Well, Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in the citadel, ordering their destruction so that uh, so Hadach might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to approach the king, employ his favor and plead with him personally for her people. Well, he came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther and Esther spoke and commanded him to tell Mordecai all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that the one law that applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned by the king, the death penalty for that is death. So in other words, unless the king calls Esther in, if she goes there on her own will, she actually may die. And uh, it says only if the king extends the gold scepter, will that person live? And I have not summoned to appear before the king for 30 days, Esther says. And Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Well, Mordecai says this to her. He tells the messenger to reply to Esther this. He says, don't think in verse 13 of chapter four. Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. Oh, no, no, no. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. And who knows, Esther? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Who knows, Esther, what could have come about? Mordecai tells her. Could it be, Esther, that God in his willful purposeful plan had planned that Esther wouldn't go back to Jerusalem and that Esther would stay where she was and get into a position that she would eventually have with the king for the sole purpose that she would be able to save God's people. Right? Because this evil guy, Haman, wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth. Well, look at verse 15. Here's Esther's response. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. She has to decide, what am I going to do? Verse 16, it says, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast from me. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. And after that, I will go to the king unannounced. And even if against the law, and she says this, she says, if I perish, I perish. Right. Esther had to make a choice. She had to determine, do I act or do I not? Right. Do I resolve the issue or do I remain silent? Do I take a stand against the king or do I continue to live a life of comfort? Well, if you know the story, what happens? Let me just kind of fast forward for you. Esther goes before the king. He actually sees her, welcomes her in, uh, gives the golden scepter. And so her life is spared. And she comes in and she says to the king and to his right hand man, Haman, she invites them to a banquet that night. Well, Haman's happy because he's like, great, I'm now getting up there in position. I'm now with the king and the queen. They invite me to this party. So he's excited. He leaves. He runs into Mordecai. Well, Mordecai is supposed to be bowing down to Haman. Mordecai doesn't do it again. So this enrages Haman even more. And so the follow. And so that night, Haman gets his wife and some buddies together. He says, we've got to do something about this. My plan to kill all the Jews has to happen now. And I'm going to start with Mordecai. So he says, we need to build a 75 foot tall gallow. 
we're talking eight stories high and we need to build this and we need to make this so that we can kill Mordecai and hang him on this gallow. Well, the queen and the king and Haman have their feast that night, but Queen Esther doesn't say anything to the king about this plan to kill the Jews. She doesn't disclose that she's a Jew, but she tells them, hey, I want to have another banquet the next night and I want you guys to come back the following night. So they do that. They happen to uh, finish out the feast that night. Well, that night, King Ahasuerus goes to bed, wakes up in the middle of the night, can't sleep. So he calls one of his guards and he says to the guard, hey, go to my library, get a book, read me a bedtime story. Right. Never too old for a bedtime story. So the king's guard goes and gets a book from the library. He doesn't just just grabs a random book. And just by chance, the book that he grabbed was the book that recorded the story of how Mordecai had saved the king by uncovering the plot to assassinate the king. And so the king hears the story and he says, well, well, what do we do? What did we do for this man? How did we reward him? And the guard says, we didn't. We didn't do anything for Mordecai. Well, the next morning, Haman walks into the king's palace and he's ready to tell the king, hey, I've built this gallow and I want to hang this guy, Mordecai. He's a Jew and he won't bow down to me. Well, before he can say that, the king says to Haman, he says, hey, let me ask you a question. What should be done for the man who the king delights to honor? And so Haman, being the uh, very selfish, prideful guy, he's thinking, king wants to honor me, right? And so he says, well, I'll tell you what you should do. You should grab a royal robe and it should be put on him. It should be one of the king's robes. And then you should grab one of the king's horses that he's ridden on and you should put him on that horse. And then you should basically parade him through the streets and you should have somebody that goes before him and announces, thus shall it be done to the man who the king delights to honor. And the king says, hey, that's a great idea. I love that. And so he says to Haman, Hey, man, he says, the man I want to honor is Mordecai. And the one that I want to announce it, guess what, is you. Right. So Haman, with his head down low, full of pride, crushed, does as the king wishes. Right. Well, later that night, Queen Esther has her second feast. And there's the king and there's the queen and there's Haman and there and Haman's chewing away at the food and drinking the wine. And Esther builds up the courage to tell the king, hey, there's this plot to kill the Jews. And by the way, I'm one of them. And the king becomes outraged and he says, well, who would do such a thing? Who would want to kill all the Jews? And she looks over at Haman chewing away on his food and she says, that man right there. Well, the king king becomes outraged. He leaves the room. Haman, all of a sudden, right, gets thrown on the bus. And he comes before Esther, pleading for his life and begging. And in the process of doing that, he falls on top of her. Well, it just so happens at that moment where he falls on top of her, guess who walks back in the room? The king. And the king is saying, first you plot this, and now you are trying to rape my wife? Wait a minute. And so he, the king that night, makes a decree and says, I'm going to have your head, Haman, and we need to get a gallow. Who's got a gallow? And it just so happened the only gallow available was the one that Haman had made for Mordecai. And so Haman gets hung on his own gallow. And that night, folks, Esther saved the Jewish people. You talk about God being intentional. 
It was God that removed Queen Vashti. It was God that placed Queen Esther in a spot and a time and a position to be able to win favor in the eyes of the king. It was Esther that then moved into that position. And it was Mordecai who uncovered that plot, but that never got rewarded. And then later on, it came to the king's knowledge and he got rewarded. And later on, all of these events take place to where Haman gets found out on his plan and Esther gets to save the Jewish people. I love this quote by uh, Mark Twain. He says, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. The day that you're born and the day that you find out why. Church, it's by no coincidence this morning that you're here. It's by no coincidence that you are here. It's not chance. It's none of that. God intentionally positioned you into a place in your life that you would be born in this time in, in history, that you would be placed in this local body this morning and that you would be here to listen to the word of God and 2018 be able to move forward and to do things for the Lord. Here's what I learned as I was reading through Esther. Uh, she had some obstacles that she had to overcome in order to live a life of intentionality. Number one, comfort. Right. Comfort was a big thing. She had to decide, hey, she was an orphan girl living in exile. She all of a sudden elevates herself to the point where she's now married to the king. She can do anything and have anything that she wants. And her comfort is on the line and she has to choose. Hey, if I go before the king and he doesn't like what I have to say, I may lose all of this. I may be going back to living the life of an orphan, having nothing. That was an obstacle that she had to overcome. The other one is fear. Right. She knew that if she went before the king unannounced and informed him of this evil plot to kill all the Jews, that for her, it could mean death. Right. If I perish, I perish. And she was willing to overcome those obstacles in her life. Church, this morning, I wonder for you and I, if maybe we sometimes get a little too comfortable. I wonder for us, we get a little too comfortable in the way that we live our life. We come every Sunday, let's say, for, to church. But it just becomes routine. It just becomes something that we do. Maybe we go to work every single day and it just becomes routine. And maybe it started off, God, I want to be a a witness. I want to be a light for you in my workplace. But as years have gone by, you have forgotten that purpose and that goal. You've stopped being deliberate in what you're doing and you become comfortable. Maybe for some of us here this morning, it's fear, right? Fear of the unknown. Fear of what others might say. Maybe it's fear that I won't be accepted if I take a stand for Christ and I'd be intentional this year. Maybe for some of us, it's, hey, I'm fearful that I'm going to fail. I'm going to try this. and I'm going to fail. Or maybe it's fear that you will let your family down. See, for Esther, her courage not only transformed the lives of the Jews that day, but guess what? Her courage transforms our lives even today. Why do I say that? Well, you see a few generations after Esther, one of the descendants that Esther saved that very night would be visited by an angel. And that angel would tell this young lady that she would be pregnant with the Messiah and that that Messiah would save his people from their sins. And so we are on the flip side of that. We get to enjoy what Esther did that one day. Church, we can continue to live out the daily routines of life and never take a second thought about what we're doing, how we're living, the things that we're saying, the things that we're thinking. Um, Or we can take every thought captive. We can choose in 2018 that we will do whatever we do, whether in word or in deed, whether in speech or in action, that whatever we do, that we will do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I love with Jesus. Look at some of these verses. Jesus as well lived an intentional life. Right. John 6, 38 through 39 says this. It says, for I have come down from heaven, 
not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those that he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Jesus knew that he came to live a life to do the will of the Father. Look at this verse, John 4, 34. Jesus says, my food is to do the will, again, of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 12, 49 says, for I have not spoken on my own. Right. But the father himself who has sent me gives me a command as to what I should say and to what I should speak. Jesus knows what he came to do. And then it says in John twenty two forty two, it says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, Lord, Father, even if you're not willing, let your will be done and not mine. Right. Jesus lived an intentional life for you. You probably, for most of you, will remember this name, Jim Elliott. Uh, he was an American missionary who was martyred uh, in an attempt to bring Jesus to the people of Ecuador. Jim Elliott said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. Let that sink in for a minute. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott gave his life. Something he knew he could not keep, but he gave his life for the gospel, which he knew is something he would never lose. Church, this morning, I wonder if our, uh, we recognize that our lives do not belong to us. Your life does not belong to you if you are a follower of Jesus. You have been bought with a price, Jesus says, and it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. And so for many of us this morning, maybe this could be the year, 2018, where we choose to live deliberately for the Lord. We choose to live intentionally our lives for Jesus. We do it with an act of boldness. Here's what it boils down to church. Think about it this way. When I choose to be intentional, it will change the way that we worship here this morning. It will change the way that we worship in our lives outside of this place. When I live a life of intentionality, when I choose to be intentional, it's going to change the way that I work. It's going to change the type of employee that I am. It's going to change my mindset every day when I walk through those doors of what my purpose is and what I've come here to do. When I choose to be intentional, it's going to change the way that I walk. You don't have to change your walk, but it's going to change the way that you walk. Church, when I choose to be intentional, when we do that this year, it will change the way that I see the relationships around me. It will change the way that I see my spouse. It will change the way that I see my kids. It will change the way that I see that stranger on the side of the road or in the marketplace. It will change the way that I view my relationships. And church, when I choose to be intentional, it will change the way that I give. It'll change the way that I deal with my finances. It will change the way that I give of my life and service to the Lord. Jim Elliott also said this. He says, forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know such an extraordinary God. I think sometimes without saying that, that's how we live. We live an ordinary life, even though we serve an extraordinary God. Could 2018 be different? Could we be standing here a year from now? And saying, man, I did some great things because of what the Lord did through me this year. I was intentional in what I did. I was intentional in the way that I chose to live. And I put everything aside for the sake of God and the gospel. So as we start off 2018, 
Uh, we may be ordinary this morning, uh, but I think we need to start a journey of being extraordinary because we serve a God who is extraordinary. If you're a husband uh, this morning, I'm a husband, right? Some of us need to be more intentional in the way that we love on our wives. Some of us need to be more intentional in the way that we act in our homes. Some of us need to be more intentional in the way that we lead our homes. Uh, Husbands, we have a big responsibility. Uh, How are you doing at that? Do you need to be more intentional in that today? Moms and dads, some of us need to be more intentional in the way that we raise our kids, right? In the way that we interact with our kids, in the way that we talk with our kids. It's so easy just to snap at them. It's so easy just to say, hey, I'm doing something else. How intentional are we with our kids and interacting with them and teaching them the gospel and modeling to them what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Maybe some of us as moms and dads need to be more intentional in the way that we deal with our money and our finances. What do we spend our money on? What becomes a priority in our lives? Young people, teens, college age, right? Some of us need to be more intentional in our studies or maybe in our friendships or maybe in our schedules or maybe the things that we think are most important in life. And maybe God is telling us this morning, you know what? There's greater things than what we're doing. There are more important things in my life than than the things I'm currently doing. Let me end with this verse. Ephesians 5.15 says this, says, pay careful attention, church, then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. And I would add to that the days are short. And so, church, how are you walking this morning? Are you walking intentionally? Are you focused on the Lord? Are you ready to enter a new year and say, you know what? I'm making a stand. And I'm going to stand and I'm going to say this year is going to be the year that I choose to be intentional. And here's the cool thing about that. If you choose to do that, you're not doing it alone. Right. You're doing it with look around. You're doing it with the people next to you. You're doing it. We're doing it collectively. And we're saying we're going to be intentional this year as we move forward. And whatever we do in word or in deed, we as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, as a church body, we will do it in honor of the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're willing to say, hey, I want to be more intentional. Maybe you are thinking, hey, I'm already pretty intentional in the way that I divide my life. But you can be even more intentional. And maybe there's a specific area. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's the way that you interact with your spouse. Maybe it's the way that you treat your kids. Maybe it's the way that you do ministry. Maybe it's the way that your relationships are handled. I don't know. But is there an area of your life? Are you just willing to say, hey, altogether, I want to be more intentional this year? And here's what I'm going to ask you. If you are willing to do that in 2018, as I, as I pray, will you just stand with me? And we will stand together as a church body and say, we this year, 2018, will be intentional. And so stand with me if you want to make that declaration. God, we are so grateful that you never give up on us. God, we are so grateful that you look down us and you search the earth and you are looking for people who are ready to be bold and to be active. God, you don't need us to be strong and powerful. In fact, you you actually desire that we are weak so that you can use us. And it's not our strengths that get the glory, but it's you. And we know that, hey, there's nothing that I could have done. There's nothing that I could have done to accomplish the things that I accomplished in 2018. 
But I know that because of God who lives in me and who's intentional with me and who sent his son, who became intentional to do the will of the father, that now in my life, I can be intentional to God. And I can say, God, this year, I don't want this year to be like 2017. I don't want this year to be like 2016. God, but I want this year to be something that is completely different. And God, I would ask that you would reveal to each one of us that stood this morning, that you would reveal to us what is that one area of our lives that we need to be more intentional. God, reveal that to us just right now. God, the life that we live is not ours. God, the life that we live is short. God, we are on borrowed time. And so, God, I pray, I plead, I beg before you. God, that you would help us as a church to come, to stand united, to come together and to be intentional in 2018. And the way that we choose to live our lives. God, in the speech that comes out of our mouth and the things that we think about and the things that we allow our hands and our feet to be a part of. God, we are wasting our time often with things that have no eternal value. God, we are setting examples often for our kids that we, if we were, took a step back, we wouldn't want to set that example. God, help us to be intentional. God, we praise you because you were intentional with us. God, before the foundation of the world, you chose us for such a time as this. God, help us to be bold and God, help us to be active in our faith. God, we love you. God, we honor you. We worship you. God, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. 2018, you're ready to tackle it. Be intentional. Love you, church. Have a great day. We'll see you hopefully tonight. Uh, for our time of prayer together, five o'clock.